Good morning. It's so good to be together on this Lord's Day morning. What a blessing to be with God's people and, and to be able to worship our Lord, drawing near. This weekend, as Ralph said, was our men's weekend. And we decided this weekend, as we gathered at Ralph and Lisa's Friday night and Saturday and, and continuing into this sermon, uh, we decided to continue our theme from last year, where we talked about brotherhood. And um, one of the things that several of us that were planning this event thought about is how, how inspired we all were, how excited and encouraged we all were last year by the time together and the connections that we had with one another and how much we wanted to just make sure we continue that and do a lot more. And we did some. But as I looked at what I did and as other people looked at what they did, uh, we thought about the year and noticed that as we went from January to February to March last year, something happened. Something happened. Um, it's the thing that is what we really spend all our energy on. It's the thing that translates all our opportunities into memories. It's the thing that fills up all our day. The thing that happened is life. <laughs> life happened and it got in the way, you know, and things just come up. And then we, we sometimes don't find the space for all the things we want to do. And it's really challenging. And so we notice there are some obstacles that we need to address in trying to keep sustaining and creating these relationships to support one another. We looked at some Proverbs to start things out. And at the core of it is this verse in Proverbs 18.24 that says, A man of many companions, right? Many so-called friends, you might say. A man of many acquaintances or companions may come to ruin. But there is a friend, a true friend, who sticks closer than a brother. A friend who doesn't just stick like a brother, but who sticks closer than a brother. That's what the Bible talks about when it talks about friendship. It talks about in Proverbs 17, verse 7, that a friend loves at all times and a brother was born for adversity. That's what a friend is. That's what a brother is. And we see that iron sharpens iron. We see that we need each other. We strengthen each other. We support each other. As we were talking Friday night or Saturday, Ralph said, you know, God didn't create us to be alone. God created us for relationships. There's a song we sing sometimes that has this heart, heartbreaking line. It talks about how I don't know a thing in this whole wide world. That's worse than being alone. I don't know if you've ever felt alone. It's really bad whenever you're in difficulty, when you feel like you, you let people down or you feel like you're stuck in a situation you don't know how to get out of and you don't know where to turn. We need each other. 
The early church recognized they needed each other. And so from day to day and from house to house, they were together. They were sharing their lives. They were building each other up. Paul says, you're not just members of Christ. You're members of one another in Romans 12. You are a part of me. You know, member is just a body part. We're members of Christ's body, but that makes us members of one another. We belong to each other. And so the purpose of this, this weekend that we identified as we planned it is to foster stronger relationships between brothers. And then we got a little more specific by eliminating barriers and scheduling future gatherings and instilling a sense of ownership over those relationships. So this morning we want to talk about brotherhood. And when I talk about brotherhood, we talked a lot about Christian men relationships with each other yesterday, but I'm using this in the, ter in the way that, that the Bible uses it. As the New Testament translates, <clears throat> translates these verses, brothers or brethren in the old King James, meaning not, in, not exclusive, but inclusive, siblings, my brothers and my sisters. What does it mean to be this family of brothers and sisters that share our lives together. We want to talk about what it, that is. And then we want to talk about building bonds. How do we do it? And finally look at busting through those barriers that get in the way. So brotherhood. What are we talking about? <laughs> There's... We, we had this phrase that we put up there, band of brothers. The Bible uses both family terminology and military terminology to describe the church, to describe our spiritual relationships. We put on the whole armor of God. We battle. We stand strong one with another. We are fellow workers and fellow warriors, and we are brothers. Fellow Christians are our brothers in arms in this life. We need strong bonds to support each other. We need to stand side by side. I need somebody to, as we talked about last year, have my six, have my back. And we need to be able to support one another in so many ways and for so many reasons. So yesterday, we, um, I had a chart on the whiteboard uh, this one up here, where I wanted to talk about how the words fellowship and friendship and brotherhood have different but overlapping meanings. And we'll come back to that in a minute. But after we were talking about it for a while, you know, the, the wisdom of a group is better than just one person talking. And, um, and so Ralph said, you know, if I were drawing it, I would draw it with concentric circles. Because what he was drawing, what he was describing, is how these three ideas have a, a relationship to one another in closeness. I have fellowship with people I haven't even met. But then I develop friendship and I develop brotherhood. And those who are closest to me, those are the people that are my friends. Those are the people that are a brother born for adversity. And then Jeff said, actually, I would do it this way. <laughs> and he said, I think you need to put arrows. And I put it clockwise again. They, it's very important to Jeff that it be counterclockwise. But 
I put it clockwise here because that's how my brain works. And, that, and what, what Jeff was talking about is how one leads to the other. How fellowship, what we share with each other in Christ, leads to this closeness, this family relationship. And that leads to true friendship that shares our life with each other. Fellowship, 1 John 1, verses 3 through verse 7, describes it as a relationship we have with each other because of a relationship we have with God. It's like a triangle. If I have a fellowship, a sharing in and with Christ and God and Spirit, then I have a fellowship, a sharing with Bev and with Lisa and Aaron and Judy and Bob. I have fellowship. I have a sameness, a, a, a connection that is profound because it is based in my connection with the one that made me and loved me and died for me. And so we have this closeness because you think about how, you know, anytime you, anytime you have a relationship with someone, it's usually based in something you have in common. But we have the most important thing in our lives in common. That's fellowship. And that fellowship, that sharing with God and with one another leads to a fellowship, a sharing, a koinonia in other ways. A fellowship, the word is sometimes used, a partnership. It, it, the way we work together, it's sometimes used in the New Testament of giving financially to each other. Sharing our things because we share other things. It's about sharing our lives. Because we share what is most important. In fact, the communion that we just took uses that same word. That's what the word communion means, is sharing, common fellowship. We share in the body and the blood of Christ together. Come share the Lord, as we sing. And so fellowship is this, this sacred connection we have through Christ. But then that leads us to this, this different kind of family relationship, a, a brotherhood that is closer than brothers, closer than your actual family, because of what we share and because of the kind of people that Christ makes, allows us to, to love and submit to each other and, and sacrifice for each other and bring humility and selflessness and bring service and hospitality and all the things that Christ creates is the making of a friendship, is the making of strong relationships, is the making of the kind of people that you can not only spend a lifetime here with, but an eternity with. And friendship gets kind of cheapened in the, in the language we have today. I was joking about how I have like 875 Facebook friends, people I don't even know, and, and maybe I have no connection with at all. But Jesus elevates that word friend. And we'll talk about what that means in Christ to be a friend. But you know what a friend is. It's just the basic definition. We, we value one another. We appreciate one another. We want to spend time together. We enjoy one another, as Michael said. We, 
we have a certain mutuality of, of appreciating, admiring, connecting, wanting to spend time with each other, and then we help each other. We support each other. We're the ones that are there for each other. And so friendship and fellowship and brotherhood are all connected in all these ways. But how do we build brotherly bonds? And in some ways, this is not rocket science, but each one of the points, these eight steps or actions that I'm going to outline are important. They matter. And if you do these things, you will have stronger friendships. And the first one is to choose righteous people. We're talking about a particular kind of friendship, a friendship based in fellowship, a friendship based in brotherhood. The Bible over and over again talks about watching out for who you're going to, to be friends with. There's an old saying that says, you become most like the five people you spend the most time with. I don't know if that's always true, but even if it's partly true, we better think carefully about who we're spending our time with and who we're becoming friends with. We want to be able to reach out to the world and have enough of a relationship with different people to, to connect with them and bring them in, but they're not our anchor. Our anchor is in Christ and then in his people, and these are the relationships we build our lives in, and then we bring others into that circle. Paul famously says, you know, quoted often, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, um, evil companions corrupt good morals. Proverbs over and over again says, don't associate with a man given to anger. Don't associate with a gossip. Don't associate with someone who's a troublemaker. He brings up over and over again, uh, Solomon and, and the wise writers of Proverbs are telling us, watch out who you spend your time with. Psalm 1 verse 1 says, um, the person who sits in the path of scoffers and walks with mockers and evil people is going to fall. They're going to blow away like chaff. We choose our friends. You don't get to choose everybody in your life. You don't always get to choose your coworker. You don't always get to choose, you know, your family, your physical family. But we choose our friends. We choose who we're going to spend time with the most. And we have the blessing of God's design of, of a local church where we can build relationships with each other. A church is not just about coming together on Sunday. It's about these relationships. It's about what we do every day of our lives and who we share it with. And the second thing, this sounds obvious, but it's maybe the hardest challenge, <laughs> at least in the modern life today that I have and many of us have, is to spend time with them. The Bible talks over and over again about hospitality. It talks about preferring one another in honor or, or uh, choosing to, to value these relationships and to honor one another in this brotherly love. Sometimes the most helpful tool you have in relationship building in this construction project we have of building good friendships is our is our iPhone calendar app. 
just put in there, hey, me and Louie are going to get together if he wants to. We'll talk about that later. You know, I'm going to ask this person, do you want to do you want to get coffee or I'm going to get a small group of people together and we're just going to go, you know, do whatever we do. We're going to go bowling or we're going to sit down and we're going to study the word together or whatever it is. Or there's a gathering like a men's weekend or something that's happening. And I'm going to prioritize that because we got closer to each other yesterday as we talked to each other, as we connected with each other. And then you want to make the most of that time. You don't just want quantity time. You want quality time. You want to open up, to be honest. There's this interesting passage in Leviticus 19 right next to where I think I'm going to talk about this when I talk about the greatest commandments this year because our theme is, is, um, is my heart right with God. But right next to where it says to love your neighbor as yourself in Leviticus, it says be frank with your neighbor. Be frank. Be honest. Be straight. You don't need to walk around holding, you know, keeping your cards to yourself in every way. Doesn't mean you throw everything out there to everybody, but we need to have these friends that we can open up and share what is real in your life. What is going on in your work? What is happening in your marriage? How are you, how are you succeeding? How are you struggling? What is, what is, what's real? And then we need to listen and get curious enough to ask questions that are meaningful and to, to make the space for other people to share with us. Being courageous enough to share with them as well. Romans 12, 15 says to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. Your trials and your triumphs, your highs and your lows, not just what the weather is, right? Um, this is how you're going to build a relationship. This is how we're going we're gonna to go through life together. And a big part of friendship is appreciation. Is seeing someone and seeing their value. And then whenever that's mutual, whenever you get this sense from them that they appreciate you and you appreciate them, that's a friendship. Paul was great at this. I mean, you read every one of his letters and he talks about how much he loves and values them. Philippians is my favorite example of it. My joy and my crown. My pride and joy. My, every, you know, my, my favorite people because you, you are fellow partakers of the grace of God, he says in chapter 1. He talks about how he thanks God every time he thinks of them. How often do you thank God for your brothers and sisters, for your friends? And then we need to express our appreciation to them. Like I said, Paul says, thank you. I appreciate that. You didn't have to do this, but I appreciate that you're, you're there for me and you're looking out for me. We need to think of them and pray for them, as Paul, Paul so often did. Pray for the things they're going through. Pray for things maybe you don't even know about. But especially pray, as Paul did here, for their spiritual lives. 
Paul prays in Philippians 1, 9 to 11, that your love may abound still more and more. I know you've got a lot of love, but may it abound still more and more, not just in more love, but in knowledge and in discernment and in fruitfulness. That's what I want for my friends. That's a good life. That's the good life I want for them. A life of wisdom and love, love for God, love for others, a life of fruitfulness producing in the kingdom of God, having the fruit of the spirit produced in you. And as, as fun as friendships are and as much joy and richness as they bring to our lives, the, the core job for us in our friendships with the family of God is to keep each other going in the faith. Let's keep marching to Zion. Let's keep going. Come, we that love the Lord. Let's keep going. Keep them believing. Keep them, keep them trusting. Keep them obeying. And there's a million ways to do that. But sometimes it's as simple as making sure that the words you're saying to them are focused on accomplishing that. And lastly, love them like Jesus loves you. Whoa, we just, we just elevated that to a whole other level, right? I can, I can spend some time together, maybe, but love them like Jesus loved. You know what that's saying? And yet that is the standard that Jesus outlines for us in our friendship. We're going to talk about that some more, how Jesus describes friendship. Going from building bonds, all of that sounds really good, and yet some things get in the way, right? And we listed all kinds of different obstacles yesterday, kind of brainstormed together, and a few things kept coming up. our limitations, and our differences, and our anxieties. Limitations, differences, anxieties. We're just going to do this about seven more times. <laughs> so I have one more circle that I had on the, on the whiteboard yesterday, and it was a pie chart. You guys have probably seen this, this pie chart demonstration before, right? The idea of a pie chart is you only have one whole amount and you got to split it up. You don't have any extra pieces that you can stick in there. This is everything. And the pie is our life. And we've got all these different responsibilities, all these different areas, these domains of our life. We've got work and we've got the church family, and we've got our family at home, our marriage, our kids, our maybe a, an, an aging parent to take care of. Maybe we've got um, some, some hobbies that are really important to us, and that gets a, a little bit of the time. Maybe we, wh whatever those things are, and somewhere in that pie, we have to fit friendship. We have to fit these relationships that are strong, for our friends, or it won't happen. That's just how that goes. You don't give a piece of the pie, it's not in your life. This is the whole thing. This is everything that's in your life. And so as I was making this circle and drawing the little pieces and we're labeling them, 
I said, oh, uh-oh, I need to make some more pieces. And Rick said, there's the rub. <laughs> and, and thus the, the harsh reality of life sets in. You can only cut up the pie. You can't add more. There's so many limitations we have. We have limitations in our knowledge. We have limitations in our willpower. We have limitations in our money and our resources. But the two, one, the two limitations that, that most of us just kept bringing up, that we're always hitting our heads against like a ceiling that won't let us stand up straight, is our time and our energy. Time and energy, so valuable. There have been times in my life when time was the most sacred and times when energy was a little harder to come by. But those are the, those are the core pieces that we have to most of all think about how we are going to divide it up. How do you make it work? How do you find time to spend time with them? So we did a, a pretty cool exercise yesterday. I thought about putting a slide of all the things that we came up with, but I didn't, we were not fully committed to everything yet, but we mapped out, we broke into groups, and each group invented some events throughout the year for the men to gather together, some activities, some gatherings, some of them spiritual gatherings, some of them just getting together socially, some of them to serve others. And I was so encouraged as I looked ahead and said, okay, now we got to make it happen. We, but we're closer because we have started to mark a calendar. And then I have to start carving up and editing and making sure that I have space for as many as I can. And you don't have to go to everything that happens. We have all of those different pieces. But I'm going to try. I'm limited. I'm limited. But... As was said yesterday, what our goal is, is to have as close of relationships with as many brothers and sisters as we can. You know, that's, that's what we're trying to do. What we're not trying to do is believe that we're not limited and that every single relationship is going to look exactly the same. Here's something to think about. Jesus had a band of brothers. Jesus had friends he valued and spent time with and gave his life for. He called them friends. I read recently, Andrew Bunt said, nobody talks about Jesus' greatest miracle, having 12 close friends in his 30s. In other words, I don't know about you, but... Man, the older you get, you don't see many people in their 30s, 40s, you know, in that period of life that are just hanging on to a bunch of super close friends because it's hard to make that time. You've got so many different commitments. But Jesus seemed to understand friendship in a, in a different way. Bunt goes on to say, I don't know many people in their 30s who could say they have 12 close friends. Jesus seems to have been unusually good at friendship and to have really valued it. Here's something to think about. Jesus was and is the perfect friend. 
And yet, this, this is hard to get your brain around. Jesus created the universe. But also, when he came down here on earth, Jesus... Jesus was limited. Jesus was not in every place at that time that he was in the body. Jesus had a certain amount of time to be here on earth. Jesus had energy limits. He had to sleep. He took a nap in a boat during a storm. Jesus had to eat. Jesus had limitations, self-imposed limitations when he came down and lived here. And so how did he deal with that? Well, first of all, 12 close friends is great, but why didn't he have a million? He invested his time and energy, particularly in certain people. And whenever he was with anybody he was with, they had his full attention. He didn't know the woman at the well in John 4. But he engaged with her profoundly. He loved her. He loved the rich young ruler. But that didn't mean that he was spending all of his time with them. And that is liberating for me. To realize I don't have to be everything to everybody. I don't have to be the best friend of everyone. I'm just going to try to have as many close relationships, as close as I can with as many people as I can in the church and build them up and be a servant and be strengthened. And there's certain people that are going to serve one group best and a certain group that are going to serve another group in a different way. And that's okay. That's, that's how God designed his church. Jesus was wise in the way he worked through these things. You think about our differences. Think about Jesus, the perfect friend. First of all, you looked at, look at his circle and all the differences he had with them. You know, we look at that we're different ages and different interests and that kind of thing. And that's real because of the commonalities as the basis of relationship sometimes. But you had in his circle a zealot and a tax collector. They couldn't get more further apart politically and passionately and as their core of who they're described as being. They're not a lot alike, these, these people, except that they're all Jesus' disciples. If you follow me, you're one of us. But those differences pale in comparison to the difference between Jesus and all of his friends. Because Jesus was perfect. Jesus was as different from an average human as anybody could be. And yet, what did he do? He came to become like us in all of the good ways. He came to be able to sympathize with our weakness, Hebrews says. He came to be able to understand us and then to make a way for us to be like him. And we can do that with each other. After Seth left to go pick up food yesterday, <laughs> I was bringing up how Seth is good at getting interested in other people's interests. And a lot of you do this. But I've noticed that Seth just picks up different things. I'm going to get interested in manga. I'm going to get interested in musicals. I'm going to get interested in this video game. I'm going to get interested in, you know, this book that Ryan keeps talking about or whatever it is. And then he has something to talk about with you. 
It's not like you have to, I am the immovable rock that everyone has to come to my interests. Philippians 2, in this beautiful picture of Christ, verse 5 through 11, where it talks about how Christ um, became a servant and even to the point of death on a cross. It starts out by saying, have this mind in you, which was first in Christ Jesus, and do not consider your own interests, but the interests of others. Don't get stuck just on what you're interested in, what you're concerned about. But get concerned about what Rick's concerned about and Tim and Sandy. Look around and build those bonds by coming to them. Again, we can only do that to a certain extent, but we can do that. We can look and see, who do I need to make a relationship with? Jesus, the perfect friend, shows us how to overcome our limitations, how to overcome our differences and how to overcome our anxieties. We might worry about all the what ifs. What if I ask them and they say no? What if nobody comes after I organize this? What if they don't want to be a friend of mine? Here's something profound again about Jesus. These things, when you really process them, it, sh it shakes me and changes how I deal with life. Jesus did not make anyone be his friend. Jesus just holds out an offer. You want to you wanna get together? <laughs> you want to be my friend? You want to walk with me? And if they say no, they say no. That is the goodness of Jesus, that he allows that, that tragic choice. Part of his goodness is allowing the liberty for us to make our own way to him so that through that we can love and we can obey and we can choose rightly. We have to learn to have that same understanding that Jesus had as we interact with one another. Everybody has different limitations. Everybody has different needs. I don't know what you want, what you need. I can say, hey, I'm concerned in my head, I'm concerned. I don't know if you have somebody here in the church that you're close to. Would you like to get together? Would you like to build a relationship? And if they don't, I can move on and not feel like, oh, they hate me. I'm rejected and my self-worth is thrown away. And No, because I'm here to serve. I'm here to bless. And I am blessed as well by that interaction. Jesus, the perfect friend. See, Jesus elevated the word friend in the same way he elevated the word love. He changed what love means forever. No one has talked about love like Jesus before and after Jesus. It's this watershed where all of a sudden we can understand there is something more than this butterfly feeling or what I'm drawn to or what I find interesting. No, love is about a profound commitment to one another, agape love. And friend is about something more than an acquaintance that I like to spend time with. Look with me at John 15, 12 to 15. Jesus says here, let me go back here. John 15, I want to work backwards from verse 15. No longer do I call you servants, he says to his disciples in the upper room. 
For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. I call you not just my slaves, not just my bondservants. Jesus deserves to call us his bondservants and his slaves, and I'm happy to call myself Jesus' slave. But Jesus calls me his friend. And he shows us and he reveals to us what we need to know. And he blesses us. And in the verse before this, he says, you are my friends under this condition. If you do what I command you. That is how we express our friendship to Jesus. That's that's what makes us, that's what made this insider circle of these 12 friends of Jesus. They're the ones that said, okay, I'll follow you when he called them. And he invested in them and he taught them and he showed them. And he, of course, sent the spirit on them with special responsibilities. Well, we too are in his circle whenever we follow him. And the verse before that, he said, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for who? friends that's what love is that's what friendship is see as christians we as his disciples we have to take what these words mean from our master and when jesus looked at people he said you're my friends you're the ones i'm gonna die for you're the ones i'm going to serve you're the ones I'm going to sacrifice for. And then, it doesn't get easier, guys. The verse before that, he says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. A couple chapters earlier in this same discourse in chapter 13, he said, This is the new commandment I'm giving you that you love one another. What are you talking about? That's not a new commandment. Love one another. That's, I've heard that before. No, here's the new commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. I am not only telling you what to do, I'm going to show you what it looks like. If you're not matching up with what this looks like, you're not following the command. The command is love one another as I have loved you. And so we learn what love looks like. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, First John says, but that he loved us and gave himself for us. And so we look at one another and we build these relationships based in a Christ-like love. Whenever he said these things to them, it was right between two moments. It's the betrayal night, right before, Thursday night, right before he's... He's going to be crucified the next day in the cross as an act of service where he lays down his life for his friends. But moments before this discourse, he has taken a towel and gone around and washed each one of their feet. His love doesn't just show up in grand gestures. We lay down our lives in the little things, in simple acts of service. There's a moment in that, in that story back in chapter 13 where Peter says to Jesus, no, you can't wash my feet. I wash your feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. 
What was that about? Well, let me make applications of that on two levels, and then we'll conclude the lesson. We need to be able to serve others, and we need to be able to accept service. Jesus said in a certain, at some point in his ministry, Jesus said these words that Paul later quotes in Acts 20 of Jesus. He said, it is more blessed to what? Give than receive. It is more blessed to give than receive. So Josh quoted Elizabeth and said, don't be a blessing blocker. No, you can't serve me. I serve you. I don't want, I don't want you to have to do that. I don't want, no, I will not accept your generosity. No, I will not allow you to buy me lunch. No, I will not allow you to, you know, pick me up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and I'll find a way with my tenacity and pull myself up by my bootstraps, you know, self-independence. No, it is more blessed to give than to receive. <laughs> Nothing wrong with independence, but we have to be able to accept help and service and love from others. That's what Jesus said to Peter. Let me wash your feet. But there's a more profound aspect of this beyond the way we interact with each other. Because that was Jesus talking. What happens if you don't allow Jesus to serve you? What happens if you reject that, that service and push him away? No, you cannot do this act of love for me. And you have no part in him. The same one who brought the towels, the one who hung on the cross, the one who rose from the dead, the one who reigns and offers salvation to all of us. And if we say, no, I'm not interested. No, I'm too awful. No, I'm going to figure this out by myself. Or whatever we might say to push Jesus away. We're a blessing blocker. We're blessing the true and greatest blessing. We're blocking ourselves from eternal life that Jesus has to offer. We can receive that. We can accept that sacrifice by submitting ourselves to him, trusting him and obeying. You are my friends if you obey what I've commanded you. As We confess him as the Christ, the Messiah, the Lord, the King. And we decide in that confession, I stand with him and I will follow him. And that is repentance, that turning to him. And we're baptized for the remission of our sins. And we rise to walk with him through this life to the next. A friend of Jesus. Jesus, the friend of sinners.